Welcome to everyone for this special session led by the Meter Center, where we interview people who have recently published a work related to Calvin, Calvinism, or the Reformation. Today, it's my great pleasure to welcome Forrest Buckner. Forrest is the Storm Family Dean of Spiritual Life and Campus Pastor and Assistant Professor of Theology at Whitworth University in Washington State. He obtained his PhD from the University of St. Andrews, which other, already gives us a connection because that's where I had my PhD as well. Uh, the University of St. Andrews in Scotland. And today we are marking the publication of his first book. It is titled Uncovering Calvin's God, John Calvin on Predestination and the Love of God. And it was published just, just recently, fresh off the press by Fortress Academic. Um, and if, you, if people are interested in getting it, you should go to Amazon type in his name and you will get the book cover. Uh, when I went to Amazon this morning, it said the book would be available, you know, by the second week of September. So it's, it's, it's really hot off the press. Mm -hmm. So Forrest, thank you. I'm so glad we could get together to talk. Thank you, Corrine. So why don't we start by just telling, tell me a little bit about the background of this project. What led you to decide that this was the topic you really wanted to write on? Great question. I, I kind of see three different levels of how this happened in, in my life. One was just personal as I w read my own Bible as, as someone who's trying to be a faithful Christian and came to these passages that I felt like, I don't quite understand how these passages fit with God as this loving God. How does this work? Mm -hmm. And as I moved into more of a pastoral role, I worked at a church in Colorado for about 10 years, a Presbyterian church. And I remember standing in front of hundreds of high school students and saying, God loves you. And I meant it, but I had that little bit of a back of my mind. Is that being faithful to the whole of scripture? Is that being faithful to the reformed tradition that I'm a part of here? Mm -hmm. How does that work? Um, and then I with the kind of scholarly level, as I got to read some more of Bart and, and Torrance and hear some of the critiques of Calvin, hearing some of the ways that Bart says, you know, this, th you know, Bart really liked Calvin, but then this mm -hmm. one part that said, this is the thing that Calvin didn't get that he put this God behind the God in his, in his doctrine of election that makes us not be able to trust um, the God, this loving God. And I heard stories of Scotland of ways that that, that kind of became from my PhD supervisor, Alan Torrance, how, how it some places kind of rural Scotland that became a very problematic where yes. people wouldn't even come to the Lord's supper because they were so afraid they weren't elect and they would be eating and drinking judgment upon themselves. And these, these ways that, that Calvin's teaching somehow didn't quite play out the way that he had hoped. So I went to, think, went to St. Andrews thinking I'll do a, a, a comparison with a conversation with Bart and Calvin going mm -hmm. deeper on this. And I started with Calvin and I never got to Bart <laughs> because two things happened. One, I, I found that I appreciated Calvin way more than I expected mm -hmm. I, as I really got to know him and his work in the commentaries and seeing the riches of his pastoral approach to being a, a scriptural theologian. Yep. And it was, it was a lot more nuanced and careful and pastoral than I expected. Yeah. And, and then I also realized that I just didn't have enough room. After all I learned about Calvin, I didn't have enough room or time to write about both. So, so focused on Calvin. A future work, a future work. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. For your next project, as it were. That's right. So you read Calvin, and I first want to say thank you for going beyond the Institutes. Sometimes mm. there seems to be a lot of Calvin studies which only reads the Institutes and nothing else, as if he only wrote the one book. I'm so glad you went to other sources. That's very mm. helpful, including his sermons as well as his commentaries. As you read these various sources, his sermons, his commentaries, and so on, 
what maybe surprised you? I mean, you've said that Calvin was a little different than what you necessarily had thought, but, but what really stood out to you as you read this wide range of what he wrote? Mm -hmm. Yes, thank you. It was, it was a really a joy to be able to get to read across Calvin's corpus and see the consistency of his thinking. It really is consistent. I, I did not find inconsistency, but I did find is a different approach depending on different contexts and different purposes. So I could see in, in the institutes that he is bringing together, trying to, to summarize and get the kind of the basic, here are the principles, here are the bullet points. Yep. Whereas we see in the commentaries, he's doing good exegetical work, in-depth, careful, he still will bring in pastoral and, and life application, you know, and, and other connections throughout scripture. Absolutely. But he's carefully doing that, that biblical exegesis there. Mm -hmm. And then when I saw in his letters, of course, the occasion, the occasions, whatever's going on in that, trying to respond to someone. And then the sermons came. And this is where in my process actually of doing this was really kind of fun for me. I didn't plan it this way. I wish I could take credit, but I actually focused primarily on institutes, commentaries, letters, and a couple key sermons, some Ephesians 1, things like that, an election. But then I didn't do a real deep dive into the breadth of his sermons till after I'd already codified what I thought Calvin saw, said. Mm -hmm. So I kind of figured out, here's what I think Calvin, how he would express God's disposition towards humanity. Yep. Here's how I think he would explain it from his commentaries and institutes and his letters and, and these occasional uh, writings. And now I want to go test that in the sermons. Sure. And so I actually intentionally chose sermons that weren't all about election. I did choose the, the so-called uh, uh, sermons on election and predestination from Genesis 25 to 27. But I also chose just uh, uh, some other ones from Matthew and, mm -hmm. um, and uh, other ones in Job and Deuteronomy and the Ten Commandments and said, how is he preaching God's disposition towards humanity? No. And it was really affirming to see that he did what I had found. Yep. He, he did it, but he did it in a pastoral, pastorally sensitive way. So even though it's not like it changed, but he wasn't, you don't hear him talking much in his sermons about reparation. Yep. Whereas in institutes, if you look up the part about reparation, I mean, it's very clear, mm -hmm. you know, God chooses some and doesn't choose others. And that's how God does it. But mm -hmm. he won't lead with that in his sermons. He won't hide it, but he also doesn't lead with it. And he, he in other places I recognize in his sermons that he, is not afraid or even hesitant to say, God loves you. Yep. So as I thought about myself as that young youth pastor standing yep. in front of the room of people, would Calvin have said, God loves you? Yes, yep. I'm convinced he would. And he did in his sermons. Yep. He said that. He said, God loves you, repent and, and believe the good news. And if he was asked about predestination and reprobation, he would say, well, yeah, somehow God does that. And God, that is part of God's overall all ruling of the universe, but it's not because God doesn't love these people. Yep. Yeah, and I think Calvin had a strong awareness of audience, didn't he? I mean, he's preaching to people who are from Geneva or refugees who have come to Geneva for their faith. So it's an audience that really, that's the message that they really needed to hear really was of mm -hmm. God's love. And perhaps in a different audience, he might have you know, possibly put a little more weight in a different place. Mm -hmm. um, so talking about audience, as you wrote this book, who was your intended audience? What, what, yeah. what? Who's supposed, who do you see reading, buying and reading this book? Yes. Well, I think because it was driven so much by my own uh, reading of scripture, I, I thought of people who maybe like me in a reformed tradition or, or kind of having reformed leanings and how they read and understand scripture have been asking questions like this. So I thought of scholars. I, I think I, I've, I've really tried to do the work in a way that is, that is 
faithful and every every of the thousand plus footnotes every single one of them was checked in the original language and read in the original language i've, I've added my own translations when necessary mm -hmm. um done that that work of of, of across the, the broad scholarship so i think it can be a scholarly uh resource but also for pastors and seminary students and even you know educated lay people who are saying yeah i'm, I'm reading my bible and i want to wrestle with this a little bit yeah i try to write in a way that was accessible to them and, and try to have some chapters that really summarize and bring things together so that if, if, if the real details of some of the commentaries and institutes and, and, and sermons is a little too much that you can still get there and really get, get the heart of what Calvin's saying and hopefully be able to then using Calvin, not using him, but growing from him saying, well, what does that mean for me today as uh, someone who is in the 21st century trying to live out my theological teaching, preaching work um, learning from this one man 500 years ago who was faithfully trying to exegete scripture for a pastoral congregation. Absolutely. And the kinds of questions Calvin was wrestling with and others of the people you sort of put in conversation with Calvin were also wrestling with are still the questions we wrestle with, right? Yes. Um, how is it that God saves? And, 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 and is he, you know, how does he, how does he look at us? What is his disposition towards humanity? Those are exactly mm -hmm core questions that a lot of people are still wondering about. So mm -hmm. I think your, your book has an opportunity to reach people who are already reflecting on these kinds of questions. And that's a, that's a very good thing. Mm, now, you. one of the people you put in conversation with Calvin was his near contemporary, the Swiss theologian, Heinrich Bullinger. And you sort of saw them as taking a different approach to the question. Can you unpack that a little bit for us in terms of what you saw as the differences here? Yes, yeah, it was really helpful for me to see that that com contrast and combination, and, and be, especially because they were actually in conversation. As you said, they they discussed this, and I actually opened the book with a quote from Bullinger telling Calvin, "I don't know, was this helpful for you to keep talking about this?" Yeah. So what what ways I uh, I think kind of summarize how Bullinger is. I want to look at my notes here. He doesn't differ from Calvin in how he understands the what happens in predestination that god is lord of this that god does pass over some mysteriously that's all the same in, in terms of that deep core beliefs what bullinger does differently is he really thinks pastorally and as as his version of pastoral thinking anyway is that you shouldn't talk about that that, that very much about the reprobation side because it's not helpful yeah it doesn't help people it doesn't edify the church yeah. And so what um, Venema calls it, he says it homiletical Augustinianism. So he's mm -hmm. thinking about how do I preach this? Basically, how does I think as uh, how the ears will hear uh, these, these concepts I'm explaining? Yep. So he, he says, you know, it says the same things, but focuses on believe the good news, trust in Jesus, mm -hmm. and, and tries to separate out unbelief as not, not something that's from God, but condemnation and reprobation is primarily from the unbelief and the sin in us, which right. Calvin would actually agree with. Mm -hmm. Calvin would say the same thing, that he has his levels of Aristotelian causality, where he, he says, you know, the real, the, the cause, the, the, the proximate cause of reprobation is our own sin. Sure. It's us rejecting God. Similarly, Bollinger said it's our own unbelief. And Calvin would then go on to say, well, the ultimate cause of, of reprobation is, of course, God, because God's the cause of all things. That's how they understood God's providence. Mm -hmm. Bollinger would agree, but he would put much more emphasis on that unbelief. Let's focus there. This is the problem. Yeah. And less emphasis on, on God's role in reprobation. And I think, I think Bullinger was probably aware also that the, um, 
the tagging, I guess, of the reformed as being particularly obsessed with predestination was not really helping them. I mean, the whole Bolsic yes. controversy and so on. That really, I mean, the Swiss cities very clearly said to Geneva, you know, don't go overboard with Bolsec who doesn't like predestination. This is not, not helping your cause. Exactly. I think, I think Bullinger had a lot of wisdom in terms of just how to make the message of the reformed church really come through effectively and not turn people off. The problem with predestination, it sometimes becomes a stumbling block for people. Exactly. Right? They think Calvin predestination, no, I don't want to hear about that. Exactly. Yeah. I, I totally agree. I think Bullinger had some great wisdom in how he could help the message be heard. Just had, get, get to the ears so then it could get to the heart before people shut it, shut it down because they were so concerned about this, this concept. Absolutely. Yes. I so, also wonder, ahead, I was yeah. kind of wondering, this, this is more speculation, but I wonder, one of the other ones, the other theologians I looked at was Zwingli. Mm -hmm. And seeing how, how much Zwingli was focused on God's providence and really focused on God's providence as to the extent that he says, yeah, God, God saves some, doesn't save others, and that's God's deal. He kind of, God can do whatever he wants, even much more than Calvin. Yep. I wonder if Bullinger, in that context, following Zwingli, saw some of the negative consequences of that mm -hmm. and some of the pastoral problems that came with that, that, that focus and said, we're going to go a different direction here. That was just an idea I had as I can tell I about. think it's certainly worth exploring. I mean, the thing with Zwingli was because his life was cut short, we don't have the full articulation of his thought. Right. Um, and it would be interesting to see whether if he'd had more years what he would have come up with, right? So, yes. but I think the first generation theologians of the Reformation, I mean, Luther and Zwingli, they don't, they don't systematize things in quite the same way as the later thinkers do. Mm -hmm. The later thinkers have kind of the advantage of a little more, I don't know, a running start. And so yes. you don't have to sort of think things up from the beginning. So I'm not, it, it would be really fascinating to see what would have happened if, if Zwingli had survived his, you know, the, the, the actual battle of Kappel and, and seen mm -hmm. what happened next. But you're right yes. that Bullinger, I think, really had to do a lot of rebuilding after Zwingli's death. Mm -hmm. And that was both theologically and politically just to consolidate the Swiss Reformation. Mm -hmm. So, yes. So, I mean, one question I had, and this was I was looking at the sections you sent me, uh, the introduction, the, the conclusion, and chapter in the middle there. So a lot of what you were doing has focused on, if you want, the God side of the equation, right? right. What's God's disposition? What's God's will? And so on. And I was wondering whether, in some ways, the other problem that's lurking here, particularly for a modern audience and modern ears, is the, what you already referred to as the, sort of the immediate cause of reprobation or is, is human sin. Mm -hmm. In the sense that modern audiences, I'm just running this past you, see what you think. Modern audiences are increasingly uncomfortable with the idea that there is such a thing as sin as an intrinsic human quality. In other words, mm -hmm. that we are sinners. Yes. And that that lack of that discomfort with the, with the idea of sin makes a lot of the explanation of Christian theology increasingly challenging, especially mm -hmm. when it came to something like predestination. Does that, mm -hmm. how does that mesh with what you're seeing? Yeah, I think I, I really appreciate that question. And I appreciate that the, um, just continue, like this is how Calvin would think. What is our contemporary moment and what are the questions people are asking and how can they hear the gospel? And mm -hmm. I think, this is exactly one of the things that we should be wrestling with. So 
I do agree that that one of the it's not uh, culturally very acceptable to talk about sin right now, and mm-hmm. especially people as sinners or born sinners. Yeah. And so when you think about when you can when you can bring that into the into the occasion into into the conversation, you see that that the fact that any of us are rescued out of that place is a miracle and a gift. And this is what Calvin said. I mean, mm-hmm. Calvin, that wasn't, uh, he wouldn't be shocked by this either. He yeah. said, you know, it's just, you have to focus on the, the, the amazing gift that any of us are, are, are saved at all, that any of us are reconciled with God. None of us deserve that. Yeah. When you do come in with that approach, you, you have less of a tendency to, to push back against reprobation because we're focusing on the right point, the election part, the fact that, that in Jesus Christ, the God has shown his love for humanity and is rescuing us from our deserved state of condemnation. Yep. That is remarkable and all grace, a hundred percent gift. Yep. That, so I think that that allows us to keep the folks in the right place, which is what Calvin and all, all of these, these figures said, we think about, the doctrine of election and reprobation, we have to think about Jesus and mm-hmm. God's love revealed in Jesus. That's the center. Mm-hmm. And actually, and as I learned, as I went through Calvin, I, I learned one of the things that the problem, Stephen Holmes, uh, he's at St. Andrews. Well, he, yes. he, he said that the problem of Calvin's doctrine of reprobation and election is the, the problem is he doesn't have a real doctrine of reprobation. Mm-hmm. What he meant by that was that he doesn't really connect reprobation with God, because he's so focused on election. Election is what shows God's character. This is what God is like. The yep. God who is revealed in Jesus, this is what's God's disposition towards us. And in Calvin's favorite picture of God, this loving father towards us. Yep. This, this is God's heart for us, for humanity. And so reprobation, it didn't have a landing place. And this is where Bart says, you know, there's a God behind the God, mm-hmm. because Calvin didn't clearly articulate exactly how reprobation connects with this God revealed in Jesus, except for the fact that reprobation links up with our deserved condemnation because of sin. Yeah. But it doesn't, there's not clarity on exactly how that works in God's overreigning providence of the world. In other words, Calvin says the God that was shown in Jesus, the God shown in election, this is the God we should think about, talk about, focus on. Mm-hmm. And then yes, this reprobation thing happens. And it's really important to be grateful that, that, that God has rescued us from that. And, it's because of our sin and unbelief and our rejection of God that all of us have, have that, that's, that, that is the case unless God rescues us. But that's not the focus or the center. The focus is what God has done in Jesus. Yep. Focus there. And so we see an election. So I think, I think what, we're, what we see that is that Calvin wants us to lift our eyes and all of us, lift our eyes to the, the, the elect one and God's character revealed in that positive side of election mm-hmm. while recognizing our sinful state, the miracle of us being rescued and reconciled with God because of that work of Jesus. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. And I think your book articulates those ideas, I think, quite effectively. Hmm. So in the end, if you think about a broader discussion about God's disposition towards humanity, is there something you can point to? You would say, well, this is Calvin's particular contribution to that conversation. Hmm. Yes, thank you. I think what I've really appreciated about reading Calvin is his, and getting to know him over these years, I feel like, and I'm sure you felt the same way of getting to know him and others, um, is his pastoral heart that says to people, this is God's character. Mm-hmm. We can trust God's character. 
revealed in Jesus Christ, revealed in election. We can trust God as a God who hates evil, a God who loves people. Mm-hmm. We can trust this God who is good and righteous and judging. These are things we can trust and believe in. And that the doctrine of predestination doesn't undermine those. It actually aligns right in with that and yeah. fits in perfectly with God's character. It's not a, a blip or a, a mark or something you have to try to avoid. Mm-hmm. But instead, as you get to know and understand it more faithfully, I think more truly, as Calvin taught it, that we can trust God as, in his words, as a loving father, a loving parent towards us, mm-hmm. and trust God's good, righteous, loving, judging of evil um, character that we need and, and, and want as um, people who read the whole of scripture, seeing the picture of who God is. So yeah. I think that, that clarity on God's character revealed in Jesus that is seen in election is really helpful instead of getting tripped up on, on the other, the other uh, elements we don't understand. Calvin said, focus on what we do understand and mm-hmm. trust God with the parts you don't understand. Absolutely. Forrest, this is so good. Thank you so much. Mm. I hope that uh, this process of having the book appear is a wonderful one for you and that you get lots and lots of helpful feedback along the way. Thank you so much for being participating in this conversation today. Thank you. And thanks to the Meeker Center for being such an amazing place for Calvin Studies.